Welcome to My Life, Chassidus Applied, episode 292. This program is dedicated in honor of the birthday of Pinchas ben Sara on the 25th of Tevis and the wedding of his daughter, Brena Baschana, to Chaim ben Sara, level of on the 18th of Tevis. Let me begin with an announcement that we are formally launching the sixth annual My Life, Chassidus Applied essay contest. This year, I'm also excited to include a new beta track called My Life Exodus Applied Creative. So in addition to the prizes that are regularly awarded in the previous years, the first $10,000 prize, the second $3,600 prize, the third $1,000 prize, to the top three essayists, including a $500 prize, especially for students, only for students, we're now including another prize, a $1,000 prize in this beta track of creative, where you can submit an artistic expression of conveying chassidus, a concept of chassidus, and its application to contemporary life. If you go to chassidusapplied.com slash contest, you'll see all the guidelines and all the rules. In this case of the creative track, it's about either something that is presented as... Um, creative writing, poetry, scripts, uh, letters, as you'll see there, the spelling out, as well as the spoken word, a video presentation. And a, a part of the creative track is also presentations in visual arts. It could be photography, art, music, and all different types of arts, sculpture, and so on. All has to be pre- presented and submitted in digital form. All the details, again, at, meaning at uh, chassidusapply.com slash contest. So we've launched it formally. This is also the beginning of the seventh year of these programs. Who would believe this is already the seventh year of My Life Chassidus Applied, and this is the sixth annual contest. So please take advantage of this opportunity. It's transformed many lives. And now we also have the creative approach. Some people can do it through an essay. Some people can do it through creative, and we really want to see how people respond. That's why, in a sense, it's a beta to see. It's a unique approach. But what better way to make citizens apply to our lives than by using our skills, our talents, whether it's in writing or it's in artistic or creative ways to express ideas of chassidus, especially as they relate to our lives. So it's really exciting as we expand this contest. Another additional new thing, every year we've received Hebrew submissions, but due to the great response in all languages, we've decided to create a separate track, a Hebrew division, which has its own site and will have its own prizes and its own specific way is being structured. So all the details, again, can be found at chassidusapply.com slash contest. The deadline, the deadline for this contest is... Uh, to, uh, to, uh, 12 noon, uh, 12, uh, at midnight, the 28th of Shvat, Tov Pei, which corresponds to February 23rd, 2020. So you have a good month to think about it and submit. And uh, we only hope that uh, every one of you is a winner. As I always say, everybody is a winner. But the ones that reach the, get the highest marks, and again, following those guidelines... Will receive the monetary awards, addition to uh, rewards, addition to the reward of being able to write something of this nature, it being published, 
and really becoming a worldwide phenomenon. So you'll be hearing more details, but this is the official announcement. We began the program of my life around Chovdal Tevis, between Chovdal Tevis and Yutzvat, and that's the period we are in right now. So that's a good segue to move right in. We are also honoring and celebrating the 70th anniversary of the Rebbe's leadership this year, Yutzvat, just coming up in a few weeks, this, which is Tovshin Yud to Tovshin Pei, 70 years from when the Rebbe assumed leadership after the Istalkus of the Friedrich Rebbe. But before we get to that, let's, as we usually do, focus in on the timely nature of this week, which is Chovdal Tevis, the Yortzeit of the Alter Rebbe in Tovkuf Ayin Gimel, and um, which would be, that would be that would be 207 years ago. Tafresh Ayin Gimel, Tafshin Ayin Gimel, and now we're in Tafshin Pei. As well as, this is the parsha of Va'era, the second chapter in the Torah read in the book of Exodus, the book of Shemesh that we read this week. So we'll start with Chavdal Atevis. The Alter Rebbe, of course, is the founder of Chassidus Chabad. There'd be no Chassidus applied without Chassidus Chabad. So we pay tribute to the Alter Rebbe in that sense. I've spoken about this in previous years, but let's just share one quick thought on... Um, on the Alter Rebbe, the Alter Rebbe's name Shneir Zalman, as the Rebbe emphasizes, the Rebbe's father talks about it as well. Shneir is made up of two words, Shnei Oyer, two lights. What are the two lights? The two lights that the Alter Rebbe introduced, the light of Nigla Dater, wrote the Shulchan Aruch, which is the most contemporary Shulchan Aruch after the Beis Yos, after the, the Mechaber, which is the Beis Yosef Shulchan Aruch, and after the Tur, before that, the Rambam and the Rosh and the other poskim, the Alter Rebbe Shulchan Aruch. And the second era is the era of Primius Atera. The Siyazdus with the founding of Chassidus Chabad and of course the Teresh Shebiksav of Chassidus, the written Torah of Chassidus, which is called the Tanya. So Shneir, two lights. Teresh is called Teresh Eir. So in Teresh itself, you have the two lights, two luminaries. It, it reminds us, of course, of the day of Wednesday in creation. Shnei Me'eres Sagdelen which is referred to by the Friedrich Rebbe, by the Rabbeim, as the birthday of the Alter Rebbe, the birthday of the Baal Shem Tov and the Alter Rebbe, the birth, both born on Wednesdays. Yem Shenot is the day when the luminaries were established in the heavens. And the two luminaries, the Meiris, the Meir of Baal Shem Tov and the Meir of the Alter Rebbe. The Alter Rebbe himself has these two Shnei Eiris. So, of course, you could ask the question, what's the difference in Meir and Oir? Why shouldn't it be Shnei Meir? Should be, why Shnei Eir? Because the truth is, as the Rebbe already explained, Vayetze, Shabbos Pasha, Vayetze, Yud Kislev, Tov Shin Yud, 70 years ago, that, that he was asked why it says Shalshelis Ha'oyer on all the cover pages of Kohosvarim of the Rabbeim. It says Shalshelis Ha'oyer, which means the chain of light. The chain of the light. Why not Shalshelis Ha'oyer? A Rebbe is Ha'oyer, a source of light, not just an Oyer. And, uh, and the Rebbe explained, because in Moyer, Nishtak Nishtalshelis. In Moed, in the Etzem, in the essence, essential thing, there's no uh, evolution, there's no process. It's all one. Where can you say Shalshelis? Where can you say a Shalshelis, a order, a progression, a progressive order, is in the, uh, the expression, like the light that comes from the source, the sunlight. So in that sense, there's a difference between the Alter Rebbe and the Mittler Rebbe. In the Etzem of the Moed, they're all one. Each one in his generation was the Moed. So the same thing you can say when you say Shnei Meiris Hagdelim, obviously in two different generations. So you're talking about the Alter Belshemtov and the Alter Reb. 
But when you talk about in the hashpa, in the expression, in the manifestation of the Alter Rebbe in this world, was through Shnei Then comes the next second name is Zalman. Zalman is the same letters as Lezman. And as the Rebbe explains at length in many places, that the Alter Rebbe took the Shnei Eir of Teter. Remember, Teter is Alpayim Shana Kodma Teter Le'elam. Teter is the blueprint for creation, so it precedes creation. Conceptually, in conceptual time. But you want that it shouldn't remain a light or two lights in heaven or beyond, but it should come down and infuse and become internalized in Zman, in space, which often includes also, I'm sorry, in time, which also often includes space, in the parameters and the structure of existence. And that's already a whole new dimension. Because it's one thing is to emanate light, to be a great teacher, a great scholar, a great communicator. But that's light in the language of Chassidus. It's a whole other thing is that it should permeate and affect time itself. That means it's becoming internalized in existence. So it's not just, just remain a light that's removed or a light that's detached. It's a light that enters and internalized in the language of Chassidus. Internalization. And in this case, into time and space, transforming a very existence itself. You can use an example. We say Shema. Yisrael Hashem Elekeinu Hashem Echad. So you're talking, declaring the unity of God. But the unity of God can be one that's seen from above down. What's called Yechudei How God sees existence. But then comes the word Echad, which means unity. But not just the unity. Yachid is also unity. Echad is made up of three letters. Echad, Aleph, is the unity. One. Alufish Alelam, the unity of the master of the universe. Ches is eight. Says the Gemara, eight refers to the seven, the seven heavens and earth. So it's the, the parameters of space. And then comes the Dal, the Dal Ruches Elam. The Ruches Elam is the four directions, east, west, north, south. But this explains that it's not just space, it's also time, as hinted to afterwards when we say Baruch Shem Vaed means forever. It's in time. So the, you're taking the divine unity of the highest levels and infusing it into time and space of existence. And that's where the real chiddush, the real innovation and contribution of the Alter Rebbe was. He took the most sublime, the most abstract ideas of Kabbalistic thought. And even as they were presented by the Baal Shem Tov and the Magad of Mizrich, which was already a form of chiddush, it was chiddush klolis, but it was still very short, still very concise, very cryptic in many ways. And it turned it into an elaborate system of Chabad, Chochmah bin Adas. Taking the ideas in the language of Kabbalah, of Keser, of Etzem, and putting it in Bislapshus, manifesting, enclosed in the garments of intelligence. So an intelligent human being can perceive and understand even the things that are so-called super-intelligent, super-conscious. Hoda B'Shalem, in a mimer, in a fascinating discourse of Tafresh Pehe, the year was 1935. The Friedrich Rebbe explains at length that by the Alter Rebbe, the Baal Yotzeit of Chavdal Tevis, by him taking Chassidus and putting it into understanding is not a descent. It shows how powerful the etzem is, the essence is, that it could even be understood. Or to put it in different terms, the logic itself, intelligence itself, its true purpose is to experience a truth higher than itself. 
And that's what Chassidus Chabad does. It wasn't coming to explain the inexplainable. It was coming to show that even the inexplainable, the inexpressible can be expressed in terms that we can relate to, which is a combination of Shnei'er and Zalman, all hidden in his name, all in the name Shnei'er Zalman. What it means in our lives is that we don't compromise. Just because we explain and apply Chassidus to our personal lives, this doesn't mean we compromise. It's taking essential themes that for years and for centuries, from the beginning of time, were really the domain of an exclusive few who were able to relate to it, and we make it something that is palpable and understandable to each one of us, that each of us on our own level can understand and most importantly apply and personalize. That's what the Rebbe came to contribute. So when we honor his yard site, when all his Aveda, as the Alter Rebbe himself says in the Geras HaKedosh, in the fourth section of Tanya, section 28, well, all his Aveda, all the work he did, and everything he contributed goes up to the highest levels. And Upoil Yeshua is Bekat Avaris. It doesn't just elevate to high levels. It does exactly that. It takes Shnei Yed and puts it into Zalman, into Zman Amokim, into space and time. Time and space. Actually, the Rebbe explains that time precedes space. Because before space, you need a time, some type of shift. Time is that concept of past, present, and future. But conceptually, it's a shift. That something is making a move. Space is not about movement. Space is about spatial location. And time is about movement. So he combines these two entities. And that is essentially what happens on a yard site. The highest levels come down. Poyal Yeshua's Bekerevaretz. They cause salvations. They affect salvations. It's not just in earth. Even in the depravity of earth. Even in the earthiness of earth. Within it all. That's the power. The connection, of course, to Pasha Ve'era. And we know that the Semach Tzedek, when he describes the Istalkos, the passing of the Alter Rebbe. So the Semach Tzedek writes that it was Mitzoy Shabbos Kedish Pasha Shmois, Chavdal Tevis that year. Aleph, the Pasha Ve'era. So he uses both. The, Friday, the Saturday night, the Shabbos, the Mitzoy Shabbos, the eve after Shabbos of Shmois, that was read that day, Shmois, going into the Sunday of Chavdal Tevis of Pasha Ve'era. The Rebbe in different places explains the significance, but one point is that these are the most difficult chapters in all of the Torah. We're in the throes of the abyss of Ervis Aris, of the depraved land of Egypt, that enslaved the first, first formal, the first established discrimination against the Jewish people, not just discrimination, genocide, slave labor. In those, dark, those are the darkest moments. And that darkness yet, in this week's chapter we read, when Moshe confronts, Moshe Rabbeinu confronts God, and says, how could you allow, last week's chapter we read, how do you cause such evil to your people, to this people, to this nation? And first God reprimands him. But then God says, I will reveal something to you I have not revealed to the patriarchs, though they never came and complained to me. So first it's a rebuke, and then it's giving him a reward. Because what Moses, Moshe Moses, Rabbeinu evoked was a deeper dimension. I, did, I revealed myself with Kel Shade, with my name Kel Shade. In other words, a manifestation of the divine that relates to the parameters of existence. Tzman, Shaddai, Atkan, Dai. The parameters, the limits of existence. And Shmi'a My essential name which reflects all of me. Or my essence. 
Shema Esem, Shema Mefurish, Shema Meyuchot, that tetragrammaton, special name of the four letters, Shema Mefurish, only uttered in the Holy of Holies by the high priest, that I did not reveal to them. But I will reveal that to you. Because in order to free ourselves from the darkest place, you need to reach deeper and have a dimension of the divine. And Moshe Rabbeinu elicited that in a way by challenging God. The Alter Rebbe, as in his famous analogy of spreading chassidus, even though some said, how you take in the king's crown, the crown of the king, the most precious part of Teda that was always kept discreet and covered and hidden because of its special nature, you're just making it available. And actually it was demonstrated by a piece of page of chassidus was lying on the floor. And when the Alter Rebbe and his colleague, Pinchas Karitzer, different said, look, he said to the Alter Rebbe, the Alter Rebbe gave the famous example that when a child falls ill and he's deathly ill and, he's a, and all, every, all doctors have given up hope until we find one doctor that says if you take the most precious jewel in the king's crown, the one that makes it so special, and you grind it, that unique powder, that exotic powder mixed with water, perhaps you can get it through the clenched teeth of the comatose child and save his life. And of course the king doesn't hesitate. What does he need a crown for? If he doesn't have his child. So the, the crown is compared to the deepest parts of Torah, this, this crown. But we're dealing with a comatose state, va'era, a darkness of darkness, all the exiles are called on the name Mitzrayim, because Mitzrayim, Mitzrayim means, first of all, constraints. But it says, that they oppressed, they persecuted Israel. That's Mitzrayim also comes from the word Mitzir, to oppress, in addition to constraints. And in that place, we reveal the deepest Shem Havaya, as Chassidus explains, the higher Havaya, because we do find the name Havaya revealed to the others. So how do you reconcile that? He says it wasn't revealed to them. It's the lower level. That still relates to existence. The Etzim itself. In simple language, it simply means this, that no matter where we are in our lives, especially when we're challenged, when we feel all lost, and we feel despair, and we feel darkness, that's where the deepest strengths lie. That's where the Shnei Zaman comes in to reveal Chassidus in this darkest of time, to give us the power, something that wasn't revealed to everybody in earlier generations, even though they were more spiritual and they were more pious and more devout and more scholarly. But it's in this time that we revealed the Torah of Mashiach because in the deepest darkness you need greater light. And we have a taste of what was, what's coming in the future. So there's so many beautiful lessons in the power of Chassidus to deal with the issues of life. If you look in a Chumash, in Nigla the Teda, in the outer dimension of Teda. Even if you look in some of the Sifre Musr, you're not necessarily going to come away with a blueprint that can address every issue in life. Whether it's marital challenges, whether it's with children, whether it's personal psychological issues, whether it's dealing with vices of anger, jealousy, pettiness. The list goes on. Shame, fear, depression. Chassidus comes and addresses it all, which of course is the foundation of this entire program and of the contest that we announced earlier. Okay. Previous episodes where I discussed this, just for cross-reference, are episodes 51 and 52, 97, 147, 196, and 242. This is a good opportunity to announce chassidusapply.com is a relatively new website where the contest I mentioned before is uh, showcased but as well as all the previous 291 episodes, as well as previous year's essays, and a forum where you can submit any question 
which is really the backbone and cornerstone of this program, your questions. And they just keep on growing. This week, I have to tell you, probably broke a record. I got at least 100 questions this week. That's a lot, relatively speaking. Not everybody writes. So I assure you, I believe Nedda will address all questions in the order they were received, or sometimes we bunch them based on topic and theme, as you can see. Okay, with that, let us move on to the 70th anniversary of the Rebbe's leadership coming up. So dedicating these programs to help prepare. We all know that something great happens. You always have to prepare. You don't just come into a presentation or, or to a job interview unprepared. The more you prepare, the better you can celebrate that particular day that we're approaching. That's why there's, uh, Moshe was misak and he decreed that for 30 days before a holiday, you begin to study about it, you begin to immerse yourself. You want to get used to it. You want to know what you're getting into and not just fall in without preparation. So to prepare for the 70th anniversary, um, we spoke about it last week. I want to just continue a little more details. And this is just a suggestion based on, I mentioned different sikhs last, last week about when the Rebbe spoke about 70 years and different times in the Rebbe's talks. But based on a lot of these different approaches, so there's quite a few suggestions. There's the Rebbe's own suggestion, of course, is that people should have every 10 days a mashpia who tests them on things they've learned and the achlotas that they've taken. So they have an accountability. So that's something everyone's familiar with. But in case you're not, the Rebbe spoke very clearly that every 10 days, preparing for, the, for, the, for Yudshvat, people should have a mashpia. They talk to and give an accounting of what they're doing to prepare what they're adding. And specifically in the areas of Teira Avedig Milos Chasodim. So let's be specific. Specific suggestion. Teira. These are the three pillars upon which the world stands. The first one is... The first one is Teira, study. So what better way to prepare for Yudzvah is to study. Study what? Let's begin with the inaugural mimer and discourse of the Rebbe. Bosil Lagani Achesi Kali Tovshin Yud Aleph which is based on the Maimon of the Friedrich Rebbe that was published for the day of the Yardzeit, unbeknownst to anyone. So the Rebbe began, with the, he received formally the Nasi as the leadership, Yudzvah Tovshin Yudal, which would be 69 years ago, said this Maimon, this is the Maimon where the Rebbe states his vision and mission statement for the world. So studying that Maimon is an excellent way to prepare because not only is it the first Maimon, it also lays the groundwork for all the Rebbe would initiate, all the programs and his entire vision, as I said, the vision what? To bring the Shekhinah down to earth, which means re, to bring the divine that it becomes a, this world becomes a home for the divine, as the Rebbe explains in that Maimer. That just like Moshe Rabbeinu, the seventh generation from Avram, Avram returned the Shekhinah after generations of sin that concealed the divine, Avram reversed the process, seven generations from Avram Avinu, each one slowly bringing more of the divine into life, came Moshe. And what did he do? After Matan Teda, the Veshachanti Beseicham, Hashras Hashchina, to bring the Shechina, the divine presence, into existence, into the gold, silver, copper, of which entailed the, the temple was not just a spiritual temple, it was a physical temple. And the same thing, we are the seventh generation from the Alter Rebbe, the founder of Chabad, Chsidis. Our job is to bring it, bring it down and finally march into the Gu'ula. So the first thing is to study that Maimer. There's obviously Maimer every year, the Rebbe would say Yuchvat, all corresponding to another chapter. This year, it all corresponds to chapter 10, 
because it's Tavshin Pei. So every year, every Basla Gani is worth learning. But I would begin with the first one if you were looking for a specific thing. And of course, any Tera, any teachings of the Rebbe are, are fitting to prepare for Yitzvat. But why not begin with the things that the Rebbe speaks about most closest to his heart and what drives the entire vision and the entire mission. The second thing is davening, Tefillah, Avedah. Tefillah, generally we pray. But perhaps this is a good time, this period, to, to, interest, to interest, a time of introspection and soul-searching and accountability. Where do you stand? Because what do you think davening is at the end of the day? You're giving an accounting to God. It's an emotional bonding with Hashem. So now as we prepare for Yitzvat, perhaps the focus of our meditations, of our prayers should be, where do you stand? Where do you stand in your connection to your mission in life? The mission that Rebbe, who was sent here on a mission, the mission to tell us what our mission is. Where do you stand? Recommitting emotionally. Service of the heart, that's prayer. Emotionally bonding with your mission. And the third aspect of the third pillar is Gemilas Chasad, Zdokim. To give charity. First of all, physical charity. Perhaps in the denomination of 70. Everyone according to their ability. Seven pennies, if if that's what you're capable of. The point is connecting a tzedakah, not just study and emotional work, but also action. But of course, gemilach's chasadim is not just physical charity, it's also spiritual charity. Volunteering, speaking with others, inspiring people. So this is a period where we recommit to the mission for which we were put in this world, the mission that God sent us here for, the mission as the Rebbe articulates in that first discourse, to bring the Shekhinah down to earth, which means wherever we are on earth, whether it's at home or at work or in travel or entertainment or commuting, is to infuse it with godliness in the conversations we have, in the actions we have, and as I said, in our study, in our minds, our hearts, and our actions, our good deeds. In this context, there's a follow-up that somebody wrote about the Rambam. I spoke about last week the Rambam's Yotzeit on the 20th of Tevis. So someone writes, first of all, thank you for your amazing work. Just a small comment on the latest My Lapsidus Applied episode 291, that was last week, where you speak about 70 years of Yutzvat and the relevance of the number 70. And you also speak about the Rambam in honor of his upcoming yard site. You could have also mentioned the fact that the Rambam lived for almost 70 years, correct? 70 years minus 83 days, as the Rebbe points out in a footnote in a Sikh of Shabbos Pasha Smeis 21th Tevis, Chafal of Tevis, Tov Shinun Beis. Something which the Rebbe also mentions in the Sikh is explaining the Rambam's lifespan and role. And the Rebbe says, Koltuv. Yes, so good, thank you for reminding me. Yes, so you have a connection of the 70 years of the Rebbe's leadership with the Rambam 70 years, and what's the 83, the Rebbe says, Yeshlemer, perhaps you could say, the 83 different halachas in Mishnah Teirah, in Yad HaChazakeh, is 83, comes down to 83 sections, that that fills the 83 missing days of the Rambam's, um, of the Rambam's 70 minus 83 days. He also points out that 83 days between Chof, um, between Chav Tevis and Erev Pesach, when the Rambam was born. Okay. So thank you for that. One more thing about Derash, well, two more things about Derash V. Hi, Rabbi. Thank you so much for your special work. Is there, is there any basis to the concept 
that the Aveda for Deir Shvi, the work of the seventh generation, meaning the Rebbe, the seventh generation from the Alter Rebbe, is not necessarily Iskafia, which means refraining from, but rather is Hapcha, transforming. Just to explain for a moment before I continue the question, that the, the Chassidus talks about two forms of serving. One is when you have a temptation, whatever it may be, I'm not even talking about a temptation for something in, inappropriate. Even something appropriate, sometimes to refrain, you don't have to indulge in everything. In the language of Chassidim, that which you're not allowed, you're not allowed. And even not everything that's allowed, you have to indulge in. Then there's Isapcha. Isapcha means transforming. Not avoiding, but taking that, that could go in one direction, and using it and harnessing for something positive. So the question is asking, is it true that this generation, its main focus is the latter, transformation instead of refraining to finish? The same concept seems to apply to other areas. When topics are brought up and the response is, it's not the Aveda for Deir Ashvi. Some brings up a time, it's not the Aveda, it's not our work for the seventh generation. How much truth do statements like these have? Okay, very good question. I'll answer, it's a two-part question. So first of all, I have not seen directly from the Rebbe saying that Deir Ashvi is more Ishapche than Iskafia. However, it is implicit, meaning Deir Ashvi is not using that generation. It's implicit in the whole process. Because in Chassidus it explains refraining is not an end in itself. The ultimate goal is isapch, is transforming. So step number one is you don't have to get immersed in it. Avoid it. Loisa say you avoid. Isapch means taking the energy of that particular entity and transforming it. So it's clear from Chassidus that it's a two-step process. That first you work on refraining. Then when you're ready or the time comes and you're told... We transform. So based on that, you can argue that in earlier generations, there was much more refraining. Famous talk about that Chassidus doesn't follow the path of Tainesim and Sigufim. Self-flagellation, self-affliction, in any way punishing oneself. There was that idea. We don't believe in precious, in just refraining. The Baal Shem Tov says, the famous Taylor, and you'll see the enemy, the donkey of your enemy, say, you'll see your body, which is the chemer, the crassness and the callousness of the body, the crassness of the body. So you will think, it's your enemy, because it's, it defies and goes against everything that's holy. Says the Baal should make sure to help and harness the donkey, not to ignore it, not to allow it to be hurt and broken. That's about working with it, transforming, not avoiding so you can, based on that, as the generations go, there's more ishapcha than there is iskafia. But that doesn't mean there's no iskafia. That's important to know. It doesn't mean every situation you have to indulge in and then transform. This is case by case, talking to your mashpia. But overall, yes, the world has been transformed already, has been refined, I should say, and therefore ready to be transformed, and parts of it have been transformed. So overall, it's correct to say, as the generations go, there's more ishapcha and less iskafia. But that doesn't mean that still doesn't exist. And in general, regarding the second half of the question, when people say it's not the Aveda Deir Shvi, who's people? If the Rebbe says it's not, it's one thing. If everybody else says it, who says maybe they're just lazy? Maybe they're just distorting things. The Rebbe made it very clear that everything exists is for always. The question is the focus. The question is prioritizing. When you see a fire burning, you can't just say, I'm going to dive now for six hours under a talus. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't dive for six hours. It means that you have to prioritize and determine case by case. 
When the Rebbe sent out shluchim, it wasn't just to be activists. He wanted, he writes in places that to really be an activist, you have to learn yourself. The more you learn, the more you can teach. The more you can inspire, the more motivating you can be. So it's just a matter of priority. So when someone says something, this is not David, they always ask, what's the source? Who told you that? And if there's a source, there's an explanation. Teda does not change. It only becomes more intense and more relevant and we find deeper levels in it. We don't change things. And yet there's different focus. Of course there was a focus in Alter Rebbe's times and a certain type of Aveda that perhaps today is not so much the focus. But it doesn't go away. It means it's either done in a different way or it's done and maybe on a lower level based on our levels. But nothing in Tehidah is not for every person. So that's the general answer. And finally one more question about this. How long is the seventh generation? The Rebbe said that ours is the last generation of Golas. This is in the Maimur Basilagani I mentioned 5711. The Rebbe said that ours is the last generation of Golas and the first of Gola almost 70 years ago. That's when the Rebbe said it. How long is the generation? And what is the Rebbe's statement? And was the Rebbe's statement a prediction and a guarantee or was it a prayer? So I directly addressed this in episodes 22 and 207. But briefly, because we're doing the 70 years and it's the seventh generation, I will say this. We don't know the exact answer, but as long as there are people that saw the Rebbe, that were inspired by the Rebbe directly, we're the seventh generation. Because we continue to perpetuate and we're influenced and inspired by the Rebbe. I'm not here to give a calculation exactly when that comes to an end, but everything that, that we did during the time of till Gimel Thomas, and including now, is all part of the seventh generation. And, this, and asking questions, if it helps you and you're Veda, great. If it just weakens you and cools you off, then what's the point? So I, I feel very strongly part of the seventh generation. I saw the Rebbe. I was I married to be a chazer, a maniach. I was in the sat at his feet. And I'm inspired till this day by the Rebbe, by the Rebbe. And I see this as the generation that is carrying the Rebbe's message into action. As the Rebbe said, do everything you can. If you feel you're doing everything you can based on that directive, that's the seventh generation's work. Was it a prediction or guarantee or was it a prayer? The Rebbe clearly answered, I believe even more than once, that it was not just a, a, a prayer or, a, good, or a, a wishful thinking or hopeful thinking. God forbid. It was a prediction and a guarantee more than that. It was a mitzias. The Rebbe said the Bidurim are finished. The world has come to a point where all we need is the tipping point. The Rebbe did not say that as a prayer. He said it as a fact. So some people say we don't see it. Well, open your eyes, as the Rebbe says. Look around, look what's gone on in the world, look what the world has come to, what things have happened over the years. So there's much more than you may think. We just don't see it with our naked eyes. Technology, the opportunities that we have today, the freedom we have, to say this is not a unique situation. Compare, do a comparative study of our generation to previous generations. So I've talked about this. I don't need to elaborate anymore. I think the point is clear. Since we're talking about Parsha Shmei, so here's a question related to that. In this week's Parsha, which means last, yes, what we read yesterday, Shmois, we learned that Pari's daughter found the basket in the Nile and named the baby Moses. Moshe. Because from water I drew him out. So she named him Moshe. To this day, we still refer to Moshe by this name, exactly. There's no other reference. 
But what was the original name given to him by his parents when he was born three months earlier? Why do we use the name Moshe given to him by an Egyptian who had a rather mundane meaning rather than Tuvioyu Kusil, which we'll talk about in a moment, the names given to him by his parents who are holy people and mean special things. And a few questions, similar questions came in about this topic. So, let's first talk about the name, and then we'll talk about why that names are not used. What name did Amram and Yecheved, Moshe's parents, give to him? So there are several opinions in the Talmud and Medish regarding Moshe's original name. In Seita 12a, Gemara Seita, it says Toiv or Tuvia. Two opinions. A connection. In Pirkei Dabalazar chapter 48, it says he had ten names. Yorat, Chaver, Yukusil, Avigdor. I correct myself, one second. This is Vayikra Rabba chapter 1 3, and see Megillah 13 8, that he had ten names. Yorat, Chaver, Yukusil. And on that, the Pirkei Rabba chapter 48 refers to that. In Yukusil, Avigdor, Avi, Suko, Avi, Zonuach, Tuvia, Shmaya, Levi, Moshe. The Seder. Hadadis, and the entry on Moshe says that Moshe's father Amram called his son Chavir. His grandfather Kohos called him Avigdor. So you have a bunch of names that most people have no clue. The only name we know is Moshe. So Chassidus answers the question in a beautiful way. In the Alter Rebbe says, Why would, number one, just to amplify the question, choose a name? that the Paris daughter gave over the name of the Tzadikim and Tzadikonis, Tzadik and Tzadikonis, Amram and Yechevet. And even if he has an additional name, that's a nickname. It's named completely because she stretched out her arm and found him in the water. Their names were names, as the Arizal says, that parents have a mini Ruach HaKedosh. Tal-Tarebbe doesn't elaborate on the question, but his answer is a beautiful answer. A name signifies the mahus, the personality, the inner personality of the person named by that name. And she, in her, not necessarily consciously, picked it up. Why was Moshe on the water? Because he came from water. Exodus explains from Kabbalah, there's two realities, two states of, 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 of reality. One is Almadizgal, your revealed world. That's compared to land. You see everything is revealed. Then you have the world of Almadizgasi, the hidden worlds. That's compared to sea, the sea, water. You don't see anything. The water covers up everything. What does it mean spiritually? There's the revealed worlds that are expressed, that are defined by their structure, and there are worlds that are concealed beneath the surface. Moshe came from that concealed world, the Shemitah Rishena, as the Alter Rebbe puts it, a world that is beyond expression. But God wanted Dafkis, a person like that. That's why he was a man of no words, because words is tangible land words. Mammals of the sea are not speakers. They're covered up. It's like the world of thought. But Hashem wanted who should be the interface, who should be the mamutsa machaber, the transparent interface between what God wants and what He wants to convey to Pare and then to convey to us and convey the Tehra Davka Son that comes from the world of water. So, of course, 
technically it evolved that, Avram, that Moshe Rabbeinu was protected by the water and that's why he didn't strike water because it saved him. But why spiritually was he done, well, done, done that way? Yechevet could have gone out to the fields like the Talmud says where other mothers gave birth because there was something about water and Moshe Rabbeinu in the spiritual realm. So his name is the one that one captures that essence from water I drew you out. That's exactly what God did. He drew Moshe's soul from the inner realms and the inner domain of thought and water and gave it to us on land that he should be able to bridge those deepest secrets, the deepest hidden dimensions to come out in an expressed way in our lives. That's why the name Moshe is the name that becomes his permanent name, not just because she saved him. It's the other way around. Because it's related, that's why she in some way intuited or didn't even know that she intuited what his real name would be, Moshe Rabbi. Okay. Last week we opened up, I don't want to call it Pandora's box, but it's a topic that's come up again and again about secular studies. So I spoke about it in the context of the Rambam, and Nevuchim, God of the Perplexed, different philosophies, the letters of the Rebbe on it. So I'm just going to do a few questions on this topic. Um, and of course I gave reference last week to different previous episodes. This is a topic that I've addressed at least in 10, 50, maybe 20 episodes at length. The Rebbe's view on secular studies, the Torah view from Tanya. And I summed up some of it last week, and let me continue from there. Learning basic math, someone writes. Hi, Rabbi. I've listened to many of your classes on secular education, and I still have a question on two, or two, that I don't think was was fully addressed. What is the issue with being taught basic math, reading and writing in Cheder or an Yeshiva? You explain the reasons not to teach Chachmas Chitzenius. Does basic math or reading and writing fall under such a subject? For what reason does a holotayer not teach such things? Was it a director from the Rebbe? I know that such subjects were being taught in Montreal Yeshiva. Why did these subjects slowly disappear in Chabad schools? I just wanted to end off with a small story. The other day I had to pay a young bocher, a young student, just a few dollars when I handed him the money he had no idea how much change to give me. After telling him the amount, he said, sorry, I'm in a holoteronik. I usually don't like to mention names, but it's, it's, it could have been any other yeshiva as well in the same system. I did not know what to respond. Sorry. It's okay, I understand. What is this young man supposed to do? Use a calculator all of his life? A calculator all of his life? Okay. So being this is a topic I've addressed at length, I'll just briefly state the following. Back in Simchas Teir and Yud Shvat, Tovshin Tezvov, that's when the Rebbe spoke about it very strongly. Yes, so it was directives from the Rebbe. The Rebbe's main battle and main war was against the concept of Tachlis, that you cannot survive, you cannot thrive in this world without having a college education, a secular education. And the Rebbe saw that as the clip of the generation, something that people are convincing themselves it's like every generation has this challenge. No way that Rebbe did not negate the value of mathematics. Obviously not. First of all, you need it in Tehriv. We spoke about the letter from the Rebbe. Astronomy, other calculations, Erevin. There's many, many, the laws of Kiddush HaKedosh. There's different ways that God implanted his wisdom in this world. Some of it is in secular sciences. I don't like the word secular. It's not the right word. Maybe it's divine sciences. But clearly there are things given to the doctor that medicine 
and medical information, medical knowledge knows that the rabbi would not know. The rabbi was negating how it's being worshipped and turned into a career. Without a career, you're a dead person. You'll never make it. And the Rebbe proved that way that way. Sent out thousands of shluchim who do not have that education and they were very successful, including even in these areas of accounting and mathematics. And if not, you hire someone. Not everyone knows everything. Everyone has a lawyer. You need an accountant and so on. Now, did some people take this so literally that they realized that, that you shouldn't expose children at all? Do we teach children how to ride a bike, how to use a screwdriver? Is that secular science or is that utilitarian? A lot of math, basic math. We're not talking about necessarily theoretical uh, physics and so on. Even that can be made to use. So to suggest, for sure not, but not to worship it. Then there is what you call Chachmas Chetzenius. It probably is included there because it's Chachmas that are a means to an end. You don't study math as an end in itself. It's in order to calculate, in order to achieve something. So it could be directed, L'Shem Shemayim. Then there's the schools of then there's the studies like secular philosophy, where there is built in a certain fundamental lack of faith and actually dismissal of faith. So there, that can be much worse than Metames Aleva Ameyach. Tamtam Aleva, as the Alter Rebbe speaks about in Tanya, and the great care has to be taken because there is playing with ideas, and sometimes even condoning or more encouraging a challenge to basic faith principles and even basic morality, because the mind can come up with any ideas. But again, it's not, a vindi- it's, not a, it's not an accusation against wisdom and intelligence. Torah never dismisses wisdom and intelligence. But not as an end in itself and worshipping it. I think much can be done in private tutoring and other things to get students to know basic skills, whether it's penmanship or mathematics or other things. And uh, we've talked about this, so that's the view, a balanced view on the matter. Someone else writes, I heard that the Rebbe wanted that yeshiva should teach only Limudi Kodesh, which means only Torah concept, Torah teachings, and not any secular studies. What is wrong with secular studies? Why can't yeshivas teach the basics like reading, writing, and arithmetic? Why was the Rebbe against teaching any secular studies? What parts of secular ideas are forbidden to study and why? It sounds like that there are many opinions among Jews about what one may or should study. So again, the Rebbe was, wanted students to become dedicated soldiers of God that would be, bring a divine mandate to every human being on earth. And being that so few people do that, the Rebbe encouraged that should be the priority. Nothing else. But again, this is not a, this is not a, 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 a critique of knowledge per se. You'll see many people who are doctors, from doctors, Yerushalayim, and people who could have encouraged to finish their studies and become lawyers and doctors in other professions. If it's absolutely Tumah, it's not good for anybody, even someone who's gone two years to college. If someone went to study idolatry for two years, you don't say go finish and become Id- and be a master or a PhD in idolatry. We're not, but we're not talking about the knowledge necessary that Sanhedrin in the court of law needs it to be able to make determinations. But because secular studies per se, especially not the ones that play with your head and plant all kinds of doubts and thoughts and skepticism, per se is part of the divine plan. It's understanding God's mind. It's understanding the way God created the universe, whether it's math or physics or chemistry or biology or medicine and so on. 
What parts are forbidden? What's forbidden, we know, that there's the studying things that are completely, um, they, they challenge and they are uh, atheistic, agnostic teachings. That would be in the category of forbidden. Forbidden, obviously, is anything in the category of idolatry or many other things that are that have no utilitarian value. Can you say it's forbidden to study mathematics? Of course not. The Torah talks about people who are masters in math and studied math. The Rambam talks about the laws of Chiddush HaChiddush, taking it from different schools of thought. But we still have the Tanya Peleches where he talks about this. How it should be done and when it should be done, and whether it's for Parnosa, whether it's Kardim Lachterbei, meaning you know how to use it for Kedusha, for holiness. Do you think that yeshivas today are teaching enough secular studies or they shouldn't teach them at all? Also, how can you explain to a secular crowd why we don't place any emphasis on important subjects such as math and science in the yeshivas? Can you share your views on the Yafed controversy in general? Okay. Well, I've had no problem explaining this because when we live in a world where we have thousands of doctors and thousands of accountants and thousands of um, lawyers and so on, obviously, you don't need more of them. When you have very few soul doctors and very few people can really help the people deal with the human condition, personal challenges, emotional, you need more of that. The Torah teaches people to become spiritual doctors, soul doctors, which includes knowing what God wants of us, knowing the healthiest possible life is living up to your calling and mission, knowing that feeding the soul is just as important as nourishing the body. So that's what the Rebbe focused on. Because today that's needed more than ever. But the Rambam was a doctor. He went to become a doctor because his brother was killed and all different reasons. But you cannot suggest that that was something wrong with it. Medicine is a legitimate form of healing. As I mentioned. So look, I think the yeshivas can all improve. I would not make secular studies worship it as the center of life as many do, even yeshivas, some yeshivas do, preparing them for Ivy League education. Yeshiva is meant to teach people the center of your life, the purpose, why are you here? You can be a PhD in every school of thought and still not know why you're here and what's the purpose of life. And therefore find ultimate happiness. That's how you explain it. You explain Torah not as another subject, that it teaches you. Every other school subject, every other secular subject is a tool chest. It's tools, but how to use the tools and for what purpose? That's where Torah comes in. My views on Yafet is, you know, once you have political agendas, even though there may be some elements of truth, you get into a hole, everyone has their own goals. So I'm not a believer that there's people should imposing on the yeshivas what to do. You want to encourage, you want to inspire, great. But once it becomes an agenda, it's not to be trusted, even if it has good intentions. And you don't know if everybody has good intentions. You may have good intentions and others take it to a different level who they just, they despise religion in general, despise Judaism in general. So you have to be very careful when you get involved in such things. So a follow-up on this is, is studying science like studying Torah? If the Torah is the blueprint of the world, that means that everything in the world is the Torah. Does that mean that studying science is like learning Torah because ultimately reality comes from Torah and science is only a discovery of reality and thus the study of Torah? It's a good question. But this question is very obviously answered, especially in Chassidus. 
It's like asking a question, is there a difference between a Sefer Teda, a Torah scroll, and a stone? Both were created by God. There's nothing in existence that was not created by God. But some things were created that reflect godliness instead of just being a handiwork of God. That's why we say that the human being was created in the divine image. Everything was created by the divine hand, by the divine words. But not everything, the image meaning a reflection. Now, even though the truth is a stone, even a, light, a turning leaf in the wind, the Baal Shem Tov says is divine providence. So it carries a lesson for us, and it's part of the divine choreography. But it's very different than calling it a divine instrument, a divine expression. Teda tells us what God wants us to do, the purpose of our lives. Science is the study of how God created the dynamics of existence. So yes, everything can teach godliness, but to call everything Torah, no. When you say, the Torah itself says, go to a doctor. Why doesn't the Torah say the doctor is Torah? Because there's Torah as it manifests in medicine, as in, in a doctor. There's Torah that manifests in different sciences, in mathematics. And yes, there's Torah as it manifests as the blueprint for existence in an even, in a stone, and in a leaf, and in a bird, in the sky. So Torah gives you a divine dimension to everything. But that doesn't mean that everything is Torah because the Torah is directly linked and you know this is what God wants. Whereas the rest of the material world, you need to look into Torah. If not, you can, you can know it all. There are people who know everything, the science of any object on earth and may not have no clue why God created it. Everything he created was l'chvete. Take technology. How many people know that technology exists in the world, the Rebbe's words, koyach adir, mishpatim memdalet. Koyach adir, an enormous, a, 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 a gargantuan power, an enormous power created in the beginning of existence. Even though we didn't know what, that there was electricity and we didn't know about atomic and nuclear energy, it was there. There were subatomic particles everywhere. Now it's discovered. How many people know that So they use it for their own personal gain, for entertainment, for nonsense, for business, for social networking. Some of it is good use. So you can't call it Tehid. You could transform it into Kol Masech L'Shem Shamayim and K'Bechol Drachech to use it L'Shem Shamayim and to use it to know God, which is even a higher level. Actually, this explains, but that's still not like learning a Pasuk in Chumash, or a Rambam, or a Zayar, or Kabbalah, or Chassidus, or Gemara, in the wrong order, but... And learn it, and understand God's Chachmash, directly. So there's directly, and there's how God manifests. It's like saying, Elokus, and not Silas, Silas itself is, everything is divine. In Bria, Yitzir of course the divine created it, but now it's already more bislapsus, it's more concealed. That would be, how would you would explain the difference between the two. Episodes 24 through 27, more on that topic. And one more thing about Torah and science, discrepancies between Torah and science. You know what, I'm gonna, because of time, I'm going to leave that for uh, next week. Okay. Sorry about that. Good. 
what we'll do is a little follow-up. Last week we spoke about Meir Nevuchim, so this flows actually a good segue. A segue, Meir Nevuchim, and uh, how there were stages when it was rejected completely, even burned, including the first four chapters of Hilchus Yisrael, it was seen as the philosopher of the Rambam. So though he was respected for the other parts, which frankly also went through stages. Some didn't accept anything in the beginning because they thought they, they were suspicious. But the Ramban put that to rest. But Meir was always kept somewhat at the arm's distance. At best, for those that are perplexed, that may, could maybe help. Like taking medicine. Healthy people don't need to take medicine. And yet we find that the Alter Rebbe did teach Meir and there was other aspects and attitudes to Meir that finally... The Rebbe, you see, uses it and says, since the Alter Rebbe taught, and you see the Sefer HaKir from the Tzemach Tzedek, he actually explains things according to Chassidus from Meir Nevuchim. So clearly there's something in it, because written by Rambam. However, it was revealed in later generations. Now, the question was asked about the Rebbe Rashab, who said he never looked into it. So someone pointed out to me that... Um, In the Rishimis Hayoman of Tofresh Sadi Gimel, page 321, this is a diary written by the, by the Rebbe that he heard from the Friedrich Rebbe. So he says that the Friedrich Rebbe said the Yutas Kislev, and they were written down by the Rebbe. In our, in our family, there was a azhara, a, a, a warning in learning philosophy up to 20 years old. And he says that it was talked about Sfarim like Ikrim. We're not talking about secular philosophy. Sefer Ikrim from Yosef Alba, Kuzi from Yehuda Levi, Meir Nevuchim from the Rambam. Admor, he says, Lamad, this I assume means the Rebbe Rashab, first Ikrim, then Kuzri, and then Meir Nevuchim. Not sure who Admor is, to be honest. Let me just see. Okay. Then he goes on to say that Samach Tzedek said to the Reb Marash, his son, come and let us enjoy the Rambam. And the Rebbe writes, he was talking about learning with the Meir Nevuchim according to Chassidus. So you see here that first of all, up till 20 years old, I guess, because more care has to be taken. Then later, it was accepted that maybe that's how you can reconcile the different opinions. Now, in Eira Teira, the Tzemach Tzedek writes, page 777, that the philosophy and the proofs in books like Chavis Halavavis and Meir Nevuchim, Metamim Tehedim, they impurify the pure, someone whose heart is pure, but someone who's confused and tome birurim and is really impure in his thoughts and has doubts in the muna, it could they could actually purify that person. So he says because uh, medicine in general is usually something bitter, or even a same uh, type of uh, not poison, something toxic. That was uh, you can derive a medicine out of it. Now for someone who's really injured, that could help. That could heal. And same thing, proofs, different proofs 
are good for someone who's already in that world of Klippus Nega with his questions. But someone who's in a healthy state doesn't need medicine. So this is an interesting take. I would say that this goes, of course, in the category before we learn Meir Nebuchim, according to Chassidus. But then there's a deeper dimension where you could learn according to Chassidus. Just pointing out that there's a whole different diverse approaches to this. There's a few other things I'd like to point out about Meir Nebuchim since we're on the topic. Um, and I'll give a few sources. In Tov Shemem Hay, and the source for that is, which Fabreng was it? Not sure. But the Rebbe, as I said over the years, did elevate Meir Nebuchim. And as I explained last week, how you can understand that in the context of the entire elevation of Torah as it becomes more unified and you look at the Chassidus within it all, that, 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 that Meir Nebuchim, as the Rebbe says, you can't split the Rambam between his halacha and what he wrote in Meir Nebuchim. Now that's, as I said, a Chiddush in later generations. Okay. What I want to now go, let's see, one more question, one more comment on this Meir Nebuchim. I really appreciate how Rabbi Jacobson explained the Rambam in context of the generations, especially the attitude to Meir Nebuchim, real clarity about a confusing subject. Now, we'll do one more follow-up. I mentioned Dennis Prager in that context, moral monotheism, and those that use uh, logic. So someone said, Dennis Prager is a tremendous force of, for good in this world, and I agree. He has dedicated his life to spreading goodness and God-centric Bible-based morality in this world. His rational Bible does not exclude the need for faith and a super-rational connection to God. He readily states that a God limited to human reason would be a limited God, and that Hashem predates creation, time, and space, created time, space, and nature, and is beyond nature. Hashem is is not a God that could be fully understood by the human mind. Dennis does not seek to give rational to Torah, does not seek to give rational to Torah and make it relatable to people of all walks of life. I'm sorry, Dennis does seek to give rational to Torah and make it relatable to people of all walks of life. For that, he should be commended and lauded. I don't disagree with that. However, there is a dimension when you start rationalizing too much, then things can sometimes fall on the side that you forget about the divine nature. But I appreciate your comment and thank you for that. So with that, we finish the follow-up from this week. Okay, let's go to the Chassidus question, which since we're counting down to Yutzvat, so we'll do the Chassidus question right now. Ikashkina, the beginning of Basilagani Tavshin Yud, starts with the Medrash, how the Ikashkina, the primary Shkina, the primary divine presence, was already in Tachtenim, in the lowest of worlds. Question one, if it was already here, then all we seem to be doing is restoring things of how things were at the start. So then, as he goes on to say, the sins concealed the divine in the language of the Medrash that it went up from the lower, from earth to the lower, to the first of this, the lowest of the seventh heavens and to the sixth. Basically, seven levels of concealment. So, question one, it was already here, Ligani, Lignuni, not Ligan. So, what's the Chiddush? So, we're just restoring things. We're just going back to square one. Question two, if Moshe already restored the Ikashkin in his time by the Mishkin, he, the seventh generation from Avram, as I mentioned. What are we doing since then? In 5711, the Rebbe clarifies that there are multiple levels of Shekhinah. But the three levels of Shekhinah mentioned there are all pre-Tzimtzum. 
the beginning of the Maimah, the Rebbe speaks about what Shechina is, what Iker Shechina. If so, they do not seem to relate to the Iker Shechina. That's what he says. That was in Gan Eden, which is post-Simtzum, and is available to be affected by the Chet Eitz References to Mamorim appreciated. So I would refer you, first of all, to Bosel Gani Tovshin Lamed Aleph, which is based on Samachvov and other places that say that indeed there are two main chidushim, there are two main contributions that happen through our work. Even though the Shekhinah was here in the beginning, and had they not eaten from the tree of knowledge, it would have remained. But what is the chidush once it gets concealed? That number one, that even in a world that's concealed, you could also have the divine. That's a big thing. In other words, we can refine the world to the point that even though it got concealed, we can re- reverse the process that even on our terms, in a sinful world, you can also bring the divine. And then there's a second deeper thing that's accomplished, that we actually bring levels of the divine that were not even here in the Iker Shechina. So one thing is to reverse the process, and now we do it even after sin, like he says in the beginning of Samach Vav. If there was a concealment, and the whole purpose is to transform the concealment, and bring back the light before the concealment, so what was achieved? So he says the first thing is achieved, Kalim. Now that energy enters into containers. Before there was not into containers. The divine encompassed everything and didn't leave room for space for another. Now another can receive. What are they receiving? Yes, the same thing that was there in the beginning. And then he says, through Aveda, we actually introduce new dimensions that were not there before. And I am based as well. That the others, the patriarchs, they realigned, they cleaned the pipes that were infected and taxified, and they brought it back to the state of when it was the beginning of creation. And Martin Tata came and brought a whole new dimension that wasn't there before. Now let's refer this to us. What about, okay, but Moshe Rabbeinu did bring Martin Tata and, and the Mishkan. So he already brought it down to earth. But remember, after that was the Chet Egel. It wasn't permanent. So as much as he brought it down, it still did not completely transform existence. In the future, in our seventh generation, we will completely transform to the point, as he says in Miketz Tov Shemem Zayin, very powerful line, he says, that what will be the Chiddush? That the woman will no longer be a possibility to do sin. The Shechina that was here in the beginning of creation, there was a possibility, and, and the possibility unfortunately became a reality when they sinned. In the future, there won't even be a possibility. And that's why it's a permanent state because all of, world will be, all of the world will be saturated and permeated forever and ever with the divine. And that's what we accomplish through the, all these years of Golas. And as the Rebbe explains in the Mayim Ritovshin Yudalaf, comes to the conclusion now the world itself is forever a divine home. So number one, it's in the world, in Tachtenim, but it's also now new levels of, of divine that were never existent even before the Chet Tzadas, even in the beginning of time, the beginning of um, creation. So Iker Shechina takes on a new, whole new dimension that's more than just what was there, it's even more than that. Okay. The Samach Vov is right in the beginning, Ayin Beis is in the second section, Shavuos Ayin Gimel, and I mentioned Basel Agani Tov Okay, because of limited time, let's just go quickly to the essays. These are still essays from 2019 contest. Essay number one is self-worth from the ultimate for the ultimate self. Mushka Lipschitz, age twenty-one, North Miami, Florida, job shluche in Mechon Alta Seminary. 
striving, that constant desire for something better, conflicting emotions, the roller coaster of feelings constantly fluctuating from a happy ego to a depressing self-pity. In this essay, we will be dealing with our generation's challenge with self-worth and the state of mind it produces. This will be primarily based on the Hasidic teachings of the Alter Rebbe's Tanya and the Rebbe's Maimer by Yishlach Yeshua, Tov Shalom and Chofches Sivan Tov Shin Memtes. We will be exploring the Hasidic point of view of who we truly are, what defines us, and how to take control of our life by being our ultimate self. And goes on to, in a very nice way, make comparative understandings of understanding the self, ultimate reality versus ultimate self, um, and understanding what we ultimately, who we are. Action versus feeling. Battle is the victory. So the battle itself is an end, and then finally applying it to our lives. Very well done, Asay. And thank you for that. Five. What's the moment? Oh, okay. Got it. The next essay is self-worth. One second. I got all my pages confused. Sorry. Second one is Reach from Within. Michael Uriash, age 19, Miami Beach, Florida, student at Machon Alta Seminary. The Rebbe writes that each and every generation has its own characteristic which has, bear, has, which has bearing on contemporary problems. One of them is being faced with a lot of assimilation. She says this essay addresses this, this challenge interacting with a very different world that's not aligned with Torah yet. Very interesting essay. I found it very stimulating. So, well worth reading. And with that, we go to the third essay. Okay, the third essay is Instant Me, Esther Rivka Ruddle, age 16, Johannesburg, South Africa, student at Torah Academy Girls High School. We live in a generation where everything is available. Not only is it accessible, but it's there in an instant. The whole world is at our fingertips. At the same time, we find an implausible focus on society, in society on the self. So how do we deal with this paradox? In this essay, we will attempt to unravel this based on the Hasidic view of man, and particularly a Jew's essential makeup and on their role in this world. It goes on to explain self-gratification as a goal in itself, the hard work we, we invest, focusing on another rather than on oneself, and other tools from Chassidus, short-term versus long-term, and practical applications. Another very well-done essay. These are posted at chassidusapply.com. You could see these and all the other essays. And I, again, conclude with what I began, the announcement of the sixth annual My Life Chassidus Applied contest this year. We have an additional creative track. Check it out all at chassidusapplied.com slash contest. This has been My Life Chassidus Applied, episode 292. We're here every Sunday, 8 to 9 p.m. Looking forward to your questions, to your comments, and especially our preparations for Shivim Shona, 70 years from the, of the Rebbe's leadership. May we be zeichet to be reunited with the Rebbe even before then. And meanwhile, we do our part in preparing and actually creating true change and final revolution of bringing the Geula Hamitis Vashleimah, the ultimate mission of Hayrodes Hashchina, 
Hamshech Hashchina Lamata to bring the Shechina, the Divine Presence, back to this earth, but in ways that are unprecedented as discussed before. Everyone have a very blessed week. And um, we will be here, as I said, every week, 8 to 9 p.m. Sundays. Thank you so much. This program is brought to you by My Life, Hasidus Applied. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at hasidusapplied.com slash donate.